Hey, Adam Smolcom here, lead pastor of Vive Church. Welcome to our podcast. I pray that God will speak to you through the message today and that a greater level of faith would be unlocked in your life. God bless. And we're gonna center on a passage that was referenced last week. Get your Bibles out, get your Bibles out and let's stand for the reading of the word. Matthew 5, 13. Referenced last week, but we're gonna expand upon it a little bit. It says this in the New Living Translation version. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Come on, somebody. I wanna read an expanded version of this in Luke 14, 25 through 35 in the New Living Translation version. And it says this, a large crowd was following Jesus. And I love how this passage starts that a crowd was following Jesus. So even Jesus knew it was about community. It's not about isolation, that it's about the church gathered. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everybody else. What? Your father, your mother, wife and children. Sorry, babe. Brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you can't be my disciple. And if you don't carry your own cross, follow me, you can't be my disciple. Don't even begin until you've counted the cost. For who begins construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might be complete only in the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, ha, there's that person who started that building and couldn't even afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he'll send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything that you own. And check out this sermon transition here. You ready for this segue? Salt is good for seasoning. What? We talking about hashtag hate your mom. We talking about war strategy. And then you want to talk about the kitchen, Jesus? Like, what are we even? Salt is good for seasoning. But if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor the manure pile. It is thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. I don't know if I understand fully Jesus, but I pray for revelation this morning because I know this, the Bible has no accidents, especially the words of Jesus have no accidents. Every word is with intention. It's the inerrant word of God and he wants to speak into your life today. And, and we're gonna unpack it, we're gonna unpack it, but I wanna hopefully answer this question this morning is, how do we take what we are receiving in here right now and every single week that you show up, how do we take what we're receiving here and take it out there? Or maybe in the words of Jesus, how are we meant to be salt in our society? How are we meant to be salt in the Silicon Valley and beyond? And I wanna tackle this topic with a sermon I'm entitling, The Secret is in the Salt. The Secret is in the Salt. Come on, let's pray one more time. Lord God, Help us be salty in the good way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Why don't you high-five seven salty people around you. Tell them welcome to Vive Mountain View and welcome everybody online. 
as well. Come on, get it. All seven salty people in the name of Jesus. Welcome them to the community. So if you don't know me, I'm, I'm Vance. I am an executive pastor here at Vive Church, and it's been amazing. Just to get to know me a little bit, um, I'm an Iron Man. Thank you for the golf clap back there. I thought we could celebrate that a little bit. I mean, it's like that meme, no one, and you just, I'm an Iron Man. Uh, I, I, I've done triathlon races is what I'm trying to say. Right, right. I've done, I mean, it was a half Ironman, but, but don't judge me. You haven't done it, so don't judge me. Like, you literally haven't done it. 1.2 mile swim, 56 mile bike ride, 13.1 mile run. I'm talking 70.3 total miles. I've done that. Thank you. Okay. That's why. All right, good night. No, it's just like. I'm not trying to boast, but I didn't even really train for it, okay? The experts, the bloggers, they, they would tell you, you have to train for at least five months. Media is my witness, I trained two months, okay? And, and I wouldn't recommend that to most people because you have to literally have a base level of physical fitness if you're gonna do a race like this, especially in the heat of California. But what I did know was a secret to endurance. Okay, so, so I, was, I was confident. I could, I could train two months and still outlast in this race because I knew the secret to endurance. And, and if you're new to endurance racing, I don't care who you are. If you don't know the secret to endurance, you will not last this race. I'm talking about, I saw like guys like over six feet tall, long strides, just shredded, six pack, eight pack, everything. And they were cramping up. They were decaying on the run, not even able to, because so many cramps can't even finish the race. I don't care what physical fitness you're in. If you're new to this sport, you would probably not know the secret to endurance. I mean, you can, you can kind of make it through the swim. That's the first thing that you do, and it's 1.2-mile swim. You can kind of wade through the water and make it through that. You can even power through the bike ride, 56 miles of biking. But when you get to the run, if you don't know the secret to endurance, you will fail. And the secret is this. The secret is in the salt. What do I mean? Two-thirds of your body is made up of water. And a third of the two thirds is actually extracellular fluids. And the main electrolyte that hydrates that fluid is salt, sodium chloride. So, so there's actually so much plain water, there's actually so much clear water that you can drink to be able to hydrate you, but at a certain level of time, it becomes mission critical to replace and replenish the salt that you're losing through your sweat. And if you don't do that, what ends up happening is that your blood starts to gradually thin. It doesn't pump to the heart, so your cardiovascular is not able to keep up with your endurance. And all of a sudden, your muscles are not working how they're meant to. And the least of your problems is you'll probably start cramping up. But if the lack of salt continues to persist, it could be even fatal and you will die. 
I'm telling you that salt is essential. It's essential for the body to survive. It's essential in a race like this for the body to thrive. And Jesus said this, you are salt. He said you were, he could have said you were anything else. He could have said you were metal. He could have said you were diamonds. He could have said you were aluminum, uh, magnesium. He could have called you any other element, but he chose to say that you were salt, sodium chloride. What he's saying is that you are necessary for society. What he's saying is that you are mission critical for the mission and the mandate that he has on the earth. You are salt, which means you are valuable. In the time of Jesus, salt was used as currency. We have salt on every table today, but back in that day, people would go to war for salt. People traded salt. People exchanged salt. Salt was of extreme value. Jesus is saying, you are valuable. He's saying you are preservative. In Jesus' time, with no refrigeration, with no modern-day freezers, what they did to preserve meat is they would douse salt on it. And when you douse salt on it, it extracts the moisture so that the meat could be preserved for long periods of time. Did you know that you are a preserver of truth, church? Did you know that the enemy is trying to pervert truth, but you are a preserver of truth? Come on, somebody. I need a church on a Labor Day weekend. You are preservers of light. You are preservers of the ways and the will of God. Christianity, the values, the kingdom of heaven that we're meant to bring on earth is not a nice-to-have additive to society. It's not peripheral to society. It is central. It is essential. It is missing critical that you are salt. Jesus is trying to tell us that we have purpose, a purpose to preserve, a purpose to add value to every single situation and circumstance that we find ourselves in. A purpose so essential that the word of God illuminates the importance of salt over 40 times in the Bible. Second Chronicles 13.5 even says this. Don't you know that the Lord, the God of Israel, has given the kingship of Israel to David and his descendants forever by a covenant of what? Salt. Salt signifies everlasting relationship. Salt, even by God, was used to solidify his covenant with us forever. And Jesus says, you, here in Mountain View campus, here online right now, are salt. And so I was very fascinated by the fact that the Bible in the Gospel of Luke indicates that he turned to his crowd of followers and with no prerequisite at all, called them salt. No prerequisite, no cap. He just said, you're salt. I mean, I guess that's one prerequisite that you'd be following him. Not, not, not a fan of him just popping in every once in a while. Not even a ph philosopher about him knowing a lot about Jesus, but not looking like Jesus. I'm talking about you have to be a follower. But... If you're following and if you're part of his crowd, if you're part of his church with no prerequisites at all, he says, you are salt. See, it's not when you finish the Bible in a year program, then you are salt. It's not when you finish 21 days of fasting, then you are salt. 
It's not when you go to that worship revival and get a supernatural word that you are salt. No, no, no. You are just salt. That's what you're called to be. There's nothing that you did to gain the status of salt. Did you know that? But while you didn't do anything to gain it, it definitely sounds possible for you to lose it. Jesus says if salt ends up losing its flavor, it's worthless and it's to be thrown out. Jesus don't play. But let's think about this for a second. If we start following Jesus and automatically that means we're set apart as salt, how come in certain settings it's difficult to discern the flavor of Christians in our communities? How come that's difficult sometimes? I I was uh, reminded of a trip that we had a chance to do in Jerusalem. Anybody remember the series, if you've been at Vive for a minute, Human Savior, Human Savior? Come on, five people. This is Labor Day weekend. All right, so... So we had this series, go back on YouTube and check it out, called Human Savior. And it was actually inspired by a trip we did in the Holy Land, Jerusalem. We took our film team there. I was able to be a part of it with Pastor Adam as they were filming and capturing things for our church. And we wanted to be lean. We wanted to be nimble. So we got an Airbnb with a kitchenette because we were going to make our own meals throughout the week. And I was excited about that. Everybody wants to like eat like the locals, right? And so we went to the local market and everything was in Hebrew. Everything was in Aramaic, and so we were just winging it, but we know what salmon looks like. We know what broccoli looks like. You know, get a little bit of salt in. You're Gucci. You're done. Like, we're going home, and we're going to prepare this meal. It was at the end of the day. We had an epic film shoot, and we were completely exhausted, but we were chefing it up in that Airbnb. We were making the salmon. We were making the sides. We had the broccoli steaming. We were plating all the food, and you know that time where, like, you're so hungry, and the food looks so good and smells so good that really any bite is going to suffice at this moment. So that's what we were endeavoring to do. And, and even before Salt Bay became viral, I got to season that thing. And it was, it was awesome. And we prayed and we were about to take our first bite. And as we took our bite together, we just looked at each other kind of, that's strange. That's a little bit odd. And so we all agreed, okay, we're going to counteract this kind of strange tang. It's still good, but there's this strange tang and we're going to, we need more salt. Let's put more salt on this thing. And, and then we, we endeavored to, to eat our second bite together. And now we're manifesting. It's like, it's like something, something is, has happened. And, and we're like, we just need to keep counteracting this with more salt. Cause, cause, and it got so intense that I finally looked at the salt and I got Google translate to try to understand it wasn't salt. It was a lemon in the form of salt. Who does that Jerusalem? Like what in the world this whole time we thought that we were seasoning our salmon with salt but we were seasoning our salmon with a sour substance. And I got a question for us today. How many times do we feel like we're seasoning our communities with salt, but you actually kind of sour? Like it's on your face right now. I can see it right now. Just judgmental faces right now looking at me. Church, are we salt or are we sour? 
If you were to reflect for a moment, no judgment, don't look at your spouse because you might be sour yourself. Just, just for a moment, no judgment. I'm not gonna judge you. But if you were to reflect on this past week and assess your attitudes and your heart posture towards people and in certain situations, are you salt or are you sour? Are, are, we, are we salt or are we sour on social media? I, I see what you repost. Are, are, are you salt or are you sour at the dinner table? But it's been a hard day at work. Are we salt or are we sour in our workplaces? They don't value me. They don't, they don't know my worth. Like Gary V said, I could be whoever I want to be. Like they don't appreciate. Are we salt or are we sour in our marriages, in our midweeks, in our text messages? You know how you can retone? Are you salt or are you sour? See, if you've been assessing for a little bit that maybe sometimes I'm a little bit more sour than I am salty, then maybe there's unresolved bitterness, resentment, offense. Can I get real in this church this morning? Hebrews 12, 15 says, look after each other. So I'm doing my biblical mandate right now. I'm looking out for you, church. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Bitterness will sour and spoil your seasoning. Jesus didn't call us to be sour. He called us to be salt. But he also didn't call you to be sugar. I know you sweet. And I know you kind. I just came back from Alabama. I got a lot of sweet and kind and sweet tea and everything was sugary. But God didn't call you to be sugar either. There's nothing wrong with sweetness and kindness. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you are dousing so much sugar on the message of Jesus and how you live out the gospel, it will overwhelm and ruin the actual meat of his word. Sugar will get you smiles. Sugar will get you nods. Sugar will even bring comfort in a situation. But I'm here to tell you that sugar can also kill. We are not called to be sour. We are not called to be sugar. We're called to be the salt of the earth. What does that mean? You're called to be bold. You're called to be distinct. You're called not to burn bridges, but to break down walls. Did you know that's what salt does? Salt doesn't actually add flavor to the food. It actually releases flavor by breaking down cellular walls in the fruit, in the vegetable, in the meat to enhance the flavor that already exists in it. We're not called to burn bridges as a church. That's not boldness. But what true biblical boldness is that you're breaking down walls so that you can release the flavor in a situation. So I wanna give you a few keys. I wanna give you four keys specifically, practically, so we can get really tactical as a church and you can be empowered right after this with how you are actually salt in our society, how you are actually salt in the space or the place that God has you. Number one, serve. Everybody say serve. serve. I love this one because nothing breaks down walls like serving does. The aim of the Christian life is not heaven entrance, it's heaven now. 
The, the, the aim of a, the, the, the Christian life is not perfect attendance on a Sunday, although we like seeing you on Sunday. The, the, the aim of the Christian life is not to just consume Christianity, but it's to serve humanity. It, it's to, to serve. Jesus didn't come to be served, he said. He came to serve. That is the aim of the Christian life. And some of us need to start serving our family. Some of us need to start serving our boss. Some of us need to start serving our coworkers. Some of you need to start actually serving in church. Some of us need to start serving our spouse. And this is how we break down walls in our society is, will you serve? Number one is serve. Number two, write this down, accelerate, accelerate. Did you know that you are an accelerant of God's plan on this earth? That means you are an agent of change. When you put salt on ice, what does it do? It melts it faster than it would have melted on its own. The very indication that you are being salt is, is something happening in a situation because you exist in that situation? Are you accelerating the purpose and the plan of God in that situation? Are you having a chemical reaction in that situation? Are you a catalyst for that situation? Because Jesus was a catalyst and that produced a crowd. I love how Jesus was a catalyst. The Bible says that he was a, a healer. We see so many healing works. We're going to pray for healing at the end of this service. The Bible says that he was a feeder, the feeding of the 5,000. It talks about all his miracles. He was a miracle worker. He was a teacher. At the same time, he was also an agitator, kind of like the verse that we just read earlier today. He was a comforter in the midst of that. He was an entrepreneur and a builder. The Bible says he was a carpenter. So many different... Salt has 14,000 different uses. Jesus showcases a few dozen ways that we can be salt in our society, being so dynamic in his ministry, and he did it in an accelerated fashion, three years of ministry. But his primary purpose for drawing a crowd was to confront them. His primary purpose for the gathering of the crowd was to challenge them, to challenge the status quo. The whole Sermon on the Mount, he keeps upping the ante on what the human condition is and how there's nothing that we can do to behave in alignment to his will. It's not about behavior modification. It has to be about transformation of the heart. He keeps upping the ante. He keeps challenging the status quo because he truly wants to have relationship with you. He truly wants to bring sustainable life change through you. He says in the passage that we read earlier, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and your mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your wife. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. He, he drew this crowd to confront them. He literally was like, Hashtag hate your father. He said, he said, swipe up and follow me if you're willing to hate everybody else or just go ahead and unfollow me. He said, he said carry your cross or go ahead and, and cancel me because this is what it takes to be my disciple. And this passage can get misconstrued, but if you understand the context of it, what Jesus is not literally saying is to 
hate your spouse or to hate your mom and dad because the Bible clearly indicates all throughout scripture to honor your mother and father so that you would have long life. That, that, that you would take care of your spouse like Christ took care of the church. So he is not in this passage undoing everything that he said in his word. He is not contradicting himself. What he is saying is would you compare your love for your family? Would you compare your love for your wife? Would you compare your love, my daughters, Lennox, Emerson, Wesley, and Tatum, would you compare your love for them? And that's not even the level that I need to be priority in your life. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what it means to be a disciple. He wants you to calculate that. He wants you to carry your cross and, and he wants you to count that cost. He, he wants you to measure it. He wants you to have a proper appropriation of what that might mean. Because if you make that calculation, hear me, if you make that calculation and still decide to follow him, the type of salt concentration that he has on your life, the type of anointing that he has on your assignment, if you choose to do that, will literally change the world. It will be so catalytic. If, if you've seen a little bit of our story in the past two years, we had the privilege of launching a company called Overflow. And it's been an amazing experience. But if I could be honest with you, early on, I was pretty convicted and I was struggling with the idea of if I'm building a company or if I'm being a catalyst. Am I building just a simple company for myself and in our family and to make a little bit of money or am I actually on mission to be a catalyst? And it manifested himself, itself in so many different ways. Early on in the fundraising journey, the Silicon Valley ways to raise a little bit of capital so you can hire some staff and that you can build a product and then put it into market. And early on this journey, I was locked up in fear about what Silicon Valley venture capitalists would think about me and if they knew I was a pastor, if they knew that this company was rooted in biblical principles, Proverbs eleven twenty four, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. If they knew that, they would judge me and maybe even pigeonhole me into a bucket that's not gonna allow me to be successful in this business world. And I remember the Spirit of God speaking to me a lot of different things, but he placed this on my heart, Matthew 5, 14 through 15. It says this, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. So after 50 rejections of pitching overflow in the Silicon Valley, God told me to stop hiding. God told me to stop hiding. He, he told me to start putting at the forefront what he called me to create. The first slide ended up being Proverbs eleven twenty four. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. What I centered on 45 minutes, an hour of conversation is what was happening here at Vive Church and what I've been able to be privileged to be a part of. And that was really the pitch. It was just telling our story. It, it was to the point where I was getting so bold that I was telling investors about the tithe and teaching them about the powerful principle of the tithe and how at Overflow, and you probably shouldn't tell this to an investor, but at Overflow, we actually tithe 
tithe off of our revenue. I'm not talking our profit because startups don't make nothing, but I'm talking about our revenue. We will give 10% back to the local community. We're gonna tithe because we can't take anywhere, any place we haven't been ourselves. And I remember after that string of meetings post that, and we were looking for one more million in our Series A round of fundraising, Salesforce, and this is a very secular company, Salesforce Ventures called me and they said, hey, we wanna take the last million. And just so that you hear us right, we don't typically invest this early in a company, but what really grabbed our attention is that you give 10% of your revenue back to community. We've never seen that. We wanna be a part of it because we believe it'll change a whole industry. I'm telling you, God wants you to change whole industries. He wants you to shift whole generations. He wants you to shift whole cultures. He wants you to be the salt of our society. Overflow is not an anomaly. It's just a product of the environment that's cultivated here in this church. I see Maria, she's the founder and CEO of a company called Progeny, and she's uplifting farmers in Colombia. I see Eugene, the founder of Rev. He's serving right now, transforming the payments industry, giving the power back to small and medium-sized businesses, the backbone of our community. We have our own campus pastor, Luke Stewart, and he is creating a company that will revolutionize clinical trials so that people can get treatments faster than ever before. I'm talking about he wants you to shift industries. He wants you to change society. He wants you to be the salt. Some of you are in positions right now to shift the culture around social media and the way we interact with humans on the internet. Some of you right now sitting in these seats are in position to redeem Web3 from the narrative of greed and to shift it to generosity. Some of you work in a restaurant or cafe, and it is so important that your presence and your prayer precedes you entering that place because it can shift a whole atmosphere. I don't care if you work in big tech, in a gym, an accounting firm, a law firm, a hospital, that environment right now, and you know it is lethargic, it's oppressed, it's dark, and you are called to be salt and light. And I'm telling you that darkness is no match for light. Darkness has to extinguish. There's not even a battle with light and darkness. If I were to flip the switch right now, the light will flood this place. That's what you are. That's what you are. We're not playing church games. We're changing industries. We're not competing with the enemy. He is so beneath our feet. The oppression, the depression that you experience with your coworkers, you can pray for them in the moment. It's not heaven when, it's heaven now. <laughs> Number three, last, last. Some people ask us, why is your name Vive? Well, in year one, the vision of this church was to survive. So when we did that, we dropped the sir, and we're like, hey, let's just be Vive. In all seriousness, one thing that we talked about is one marker of a good church is 
this exercise. Would people miss us if we were gone? If we didn't exist in Mountain View anymore, would people miss? Man, I miss Vibe. They were a changing agent in our community. And so we agreed as a founding team, as an early team, and with just a couple dozen people at a church that we would make a commitment to outlast. Yes, God wants to do an accelerated work, but he wants to do a sustainable work. And he wants to transform this city and all the cities that we are called to exist in. So, so we made a commitment that we were gonna outlast, but that was a faith statement because every indication showed the opposite of outlasting. See, our, see, our pastors were on a visa. Every venue that we occupied was a rental and was temporary, only on a Sunday, okay? There was actually nobody in our church at the time that even owned Bay Area real estate. Everything about our church was temporary except for our resolve. Everything in our church was temporary outside of our commitment. And so we need to start praying. We need to start prophesying. So we prophesied over citizenship. We prophesied over buildings. We prophesied over home ownership for God's people here in the Silicon Valley and beyond. We prophesied over laying a stake in the ground because you cannot salt where you don't stay. You can't salt where you don't stay. And some of you need to prophesy over your situation this morning. Anything that's coming against, anything that's opposing, anything that is resisting the call of God on your life, because he wants you to stay. Stay on mission, stay on assignment, stay on purpose, bringing heaven down to earth. God is looking for the committed. God is looking for the highly convicted. Second Timothy 4, 6, Paul says this to his disciple Timothy, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. That was already a predetermined position by Paul. As for me, it's already done. I'm going to live a life that is so poured out. By the end of my life, I'm going to be empty. I'm going to pour out like a liquid offering, like a liquid sacrifice on this earth. This is not about accumulation. This is about authority. This is about bringing the heavenly realities into the earth. Sounds like Jesus. You can't become my disciple without giving up everything. To be salt is to serve. To be salt is to accelerate. To be salt is to last. To be salt is to transform. If you needed an acronym this morning, that would be it. To serve, accelerate, last, and transform. That's salt. That's how you be salt. God's plan for your family and your household is nothing short of transformation. God's plan for your business, your workplace, and your career is nothing short of transformation. God's plan for your marriage that might have been sour in seasons or might be on the rocks now is nothing short of transformation. God's plan for your relationship with your kids is nothing short of transformation, but it will not happen apart from you. He called you salt, but he's the river. He called you salt, but he's the living water, the Bible says. 
So how you bring transformation to a city is you don't have to do it on your own. You just have to do it in partnership. When people interact with you, are they more thirsty for Jesus? When people interact with you, are they hungrier for the things of God? Because those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled, shall be filled, shall be filled. When we started our company, something that we were really convicted by is that we want to build a really big company. And we know that might mean that not everybody in our staff is going to be a Christian. So recruiting has been interesting because we are so bold in our faith at this moment with building overflow and the plans and purposes that we believe God has put uniquely and specifically on our company. But we recruit really anybody that has talent and that can align to our values. I remember talking to one of our team members early on when we were recruiting her, she was working at Expedia and and she was so captivated by the mission. She was so captivated by the vision, but she knew because of hearing our story, because of seeing everything that was happening at Vive that, that we were Christian leaders. And she told me early on, she's like, Vance, I, I love everything about this company, but I just gotta let you know that I'm an atheist and I believe in mother nature, but is there any way that I could still join Overflow? And so in that moment, the very Spirit of God made it really clear and we opened our arms up to her and she was part of the really early team at Overflow. Just a few weeks ago, we had a business retreat and she stood up on the table in front of everybody. We have nearly 40 employees now. And she just did something that was so unique and so special. She was encouraging Kim and I, and she was telling that story of, of that question she asked if she can join the company. She works on our operations team and she's experienced the Vive community. She's probably actually interacted with many of you that maybe have given a gift of stock or crypto and she needed to help you understand what's gonna happen with that transaction and provide you all the documentation you need for your taxes. And, and she's seen the way that our company has grown and she's seen the favor. She doesn't even have this articulation, but she sees the favor of God on the company. And, and she said this in front of everybody, about 30% of our company is not Christian. They're completely secular. We, we actually had somebody at Amen Conference He's Muslim and he came to Amen Conference last week. He's one of our engineers. And she said in front of everybody that she's never felt so open to our faith than after her experience at being an employee at Overflow. She's never been so open to our faith until after she interacted with the people of Vive. There is something distinct about you. There is something so set apart about you that people are becoming thirsty. People are becoming hungry for the things of God. It's not on you to do all the transformation work, but in partnership with God, can we get people a little bit thirsty? Can we get people a little bit hungry? Can we get people in appetite and then God will bring his authority into their situation? That's transformation. That's transformation. Can we all stand in the presence of God? I have to close. You are salt, you are salt, you are salt. Hey, I hope you were blessed by that message. We release new content every single week here at Vive Church. And so if you don't wanna miss any of it, I would encourage you, go ahead and subscribe. Also visit our website, vivechurch.org to stay up to date with everything that's happening in the life of Vive Church. God bless you.